Hey guys, I just wanted to put this correction at the front. I talk about the new weapons package for Ukraine. In this episode, I said it was for $298 billion, but it's $2.98 billion. That decimal point makes a big difference. Just wanted to put this in the front so I didn't confuse anybody. Uh, but that's it. Enjoy the show. Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Thursday, August 25th, 2022. The first story at the top of Antiwar.com today, it looks like there's a pretty serious escalation going on in Syria. Uh, U.S. troops were wounded in rocket attacks in Syria after U.S. airstrikes in the country. So U.S. Central Command said on Wednesday that three U.S. troops were wounded in rocket attacks on the U.S. base at Green Village and at a base near the Conoco gas fields. Both are located in eastern Syria. CENTCOM said that one service member was treated for a minor wound, while two other soldiers are under evaluation for minor injuries. So it seems like not much damage was done and the injuries were minor, but the U.S. responded to the attacks by launching strikes from Apache helicopters against three vehicles. CENTCOM said that two or three suspected Iran-backed militants were killed in the helicopter strikes. Now, this is just the U.S. military's account, so we can't take them for their word. They don't know. Um, They said that they think the people they killed were responsible for the attacks, but they don't know for sure. And they call pretty much anybody they target in strikes like this Iran-backed when that might not be the case. The airstrikes that started this escalation, they were announced by CENTCOM on Tuesday night, and those strikes hit targets in Deir Azor, Syria. CENTCOM claimed that the strikes targeted infrastructure facilities used by groups affiliated with Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC. But Iran came out Wednesday, and they denied that they had any links to the groups that the U.S. targeted in these airstrikes. Now, according to the UK-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, which isn't the best source, but they're the only group that's putting out, one of the only groups that's putting out uh, numbers on the death toll in these initial U.S. airstrikes. I haven't seen the U.S. military say anything about casualties. I haven't even, I haven't seen the Syrian government put anything out. Um, And this group, I mean, they're in opposition. They're very, pretty anti-Assad, but they... Their numbers are usually pretty accurate when it comes to U.S. and Israeli airstrikes in this region of Syria. So they said that these strikes targeted facilities used by a group known as Fethi Miyun, which is an Afghan Shia militia. But they said at least six Syrian and other foreign militants were killed in the U.S. airstrikes, while this other group, Deir Ezzor 24, which is another type of monitoring group, not too familiar with them, so I'm not sure how accurate their stuff is. They said at least 10 people were killed in the airstrikes. And again, this is the only estimates that we've seen of casualties. And CENTCOM said that President Biden ordered these strikes, the strikes on Tuesday night that kicked off this escalation, and claimed that they were done in self-defense and justified by Article 2 of the Constitution. But the U.S., they cannot claim self-defense in Syria because their military presence in that country is an illegal occupation. The government, the Syrian government, is opposed to the U.S. presence. They're always calling for the U.S. to leave. So there's just no way they can justify military action in that country using the Constitution, claiming that it's self-defense. 
They said it was in response to an April, sorry, uh, August 15th drone strike on the El Tamf base in southern Syria, but nobody was killed in that strike. There was no injuries, and they don't know. You know, they're not showing us evidence that this group that they targeted was responsible for that August 15th strike. And they also haven't specified which group they bombed. You know, they're not really sharing any information. That The fact that it might have been that Afghan Shia militia, you know, this is just from reports from these observatory groups. U.S. military is not giving us any detail. All they say is, oh, they're Iran-backed, they're Iran-linked. And now these airstrikes, they come as the U.S. and Iran, they appear close to an agreement to revive the nuclear deal. And now uh, Colin Cal, he's the undersecretary of defense. He said on Wednesday that the strikes show that the U.S. will launch attacks against these groups, regardless of the status of the JCPOA. So he's kind of hinting that these bombings will continue, even if the Iran deal is revived. He said, quote, what the strikes last night illustrated is that our commitment to push back against Iran's support for terrorism, militancy, and the threats that they engage in against our people in the region or elsewhere are not linked to wherever we end up on the nuclear deal, end quote. So it's kind of setting a tone that if that deal's revived, there's still going to be airstrikes. But this is the first time in a while that the U.S. said they targeted an Iran-backed group, which usually means Shia militias in Syria, We've seen a few airstrikes and raids against ISIS and Al-Qaeda affiliates in northwest Syria. This is the first time in a while. And this could be the start of a major escalation because, again, somebody retaliated and injured some U.S. troops. And then the U.S. launched some more strikes. And it looks like they killed a few people. So there could just be a more back and forth here. And who knows what this could lead to. And that's the nature of the U.S. presence in Syria it just risks sparking a conflict with so many people and groups. And they can never say for sure who's, who launches a rocket attack on a U.S. base because there's so many people against the U.S. presence in Syria. Um, okay, so the next one here. This is just more details about Iran denying that they were linked to that group that was bombed in Syria. And then the next story This is based on a report from Axios that said the British envoy for Syria, Jonathan Hargreaves, praised Israel's bombing campaign in Syria during a visit to Jerusalem back in June. So Israel, you know, in recent years, they've launched hundreds of airstrikes in Syria. They say that the bombing campaign is to prevent Iran from becoming further entrenched in the country, but the strikes often kill Syrian troops. They sometimes kill civilians and damaged civilian infrastructure. They recently, Israeli airstrikes recently, uh, not that long ago, just a couple months ago, took out the Damascus International Airport. How can they say that that is a strike against Iran? Um, But anyway, uh, according to this Axios report, Hargraves told Israeli officials in Jerusalem that the bombing campaign is, quote, probably the only thing that works in Syria, end quote. He also said that the UK and other Western countries are basing their Syria policy on the results of the Israeli airstrikes. The US and its Western allies, they tacitly endorse this bombing campaign in Syria because you never see them condemn it. And the US also 
reportedly coordinates some of these strikes with Israel. Back in June, the Wall Street Journal reported that Israel has been secretly coordinating with the U.S. on some of these airstrikes and that Washington has approved the Israeli airstrikes that are launched from areas near the Al-Tamf base in southern Syria. So basically, if an Israeli warplane has to fly in that area to bomb whatever target they're hitting in Syria, the U.S. has to sign off on it. So, I mean, that's support for these strikes. And this is all part of the U.S. policy of uh, crippling sanctions on Syria, the occupation in eastern Syria, where most of the country's oil fields and wheat fields are. I mentioned before, one of the bases that was attacked was near the Conoco gas fields. I mean, that's named after the, the American oil company, which is ConocoPhillips now, but that's a gas field and the U.S. base is right next to it. You know, Trump famously said back in 2019 when he ordered the withdrawal from Syria and then reversed it, he said, oh, we got to stay. We got to stay to secure the oil. I mean, he just, you know, outright said w- what the point is there. And that keeps these resources out of Damascus's hands so that with the crippling economic sanctions, just a brutal policy. And the U.S. and part of it is supporting these Israeli airstrikes. And this was outlined by Brett McGurk, who is Biden's top Middle East official on the National Security Council. He was in the Trump administration the first time Trump said he was going to pull out of Syria. I think this was in 2018. McGurk was Trump's envoy to the ISIS coal, anti-ISIS coalition. And he resigned after Trump said he was going to withdraw. And he wrote this op-ed in the Washington Post saying what U.S. policy should be in Syria, the occupation, the sanctions and supporting Israeli airstrikes. And that's what it is. And I don't see it changing anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, the next one here is the Iran deal. Iran receives the U.S. response to the EU proposal to revive the nuclear deal. Iran said Wednesday that it's received this U.S. response. So what happened was the EU made this proposal to the U.S. and Iran to revive the nuclear deal known as the JCPOA. Iran responded. They added some notes to it, and that got sent to the U.S. The U.S. looked at it, and now they've responded. We don't really know the details. The U.S. said that Iran has made some more concessions, dropped their demand to have the IRGC terror designation lifted. They dropped their demand to have the IAEA stop uh, investigations into traces of uranium at Iranian nuclear sites. This is according to a U.S. official, but this U.S. official told Reuters earlier in the week that they're closer to a deal and that, you know, it's something that the Biden administration could work on. So, again, there's not there's little detail. Iran just said that they're reviewing the response. And the State Department confirmed that they have sent this response into the EU. Uh, So now we just wait and see if this deal is revived. I mean, I guess now Iran can say, okay, I agree, and that they'll go sign a deal in Vienna. Um, I've been very skeptical that this would happen, but things have changed a lot, with especially with oil. You know, the EU push is about the energy prices that they're dealing with. They want to get Iranian oil back on the market. But the Biden administration has been very has taken a very hard line policy towards Iran. They could have, from the beginning, just lifted all the sanctions Trump put in place, and that would have automatically brought, revived the deal. Iran said that repeatedly, lift those sanctions, 
and we'll bring our nuclear program back under the limits. But the Biden administration has refused to do that. And they want to keep a lot of sanctions in place. So the negotiations have been about what sanctions the U.S. will lift and say, OK, we'll lift this, these sanctions, but not these sanctions. And that's been the, the, the negotiation. And Iran has made some serious concessions showing that they're very serious about reviving this deal. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully uh, something happens here and get these sanctions lifted. Now, Israel, the next one here, Israel's Israeli Prime Minister Yair Lapid. He is stepping up the efforts to kill the Iran nuclear deal. Israel's very opposed to it. He said on Wednesday that the U.S. should, you know, end these negotiations. He claimed that the deal would give Iran $100 billion. I don't know where he got that figure from. I mean, lifting the sanctions mean, means Iran could sell its oil to more countries. Um, but And he also claimed that it would prevent Iran, it would not prevent Iran from developing a nuclear weapon, which is just nonsense. I mean, the, the JCPOA, it limits, very strict limits. It limits uh, Iran's uranium enrichment at 3.67%, which is very low. In order to make a nuclear bomb, you need to enrich uranium at 90%, which Iran has never done, never attempted to do. They're currently enriching some at 60%, which is the highest level they've ever done. And they took that step in response to an Israeli attack. Israel frequently launches these covert attacks inside Iran. And Iran responds by increasing uranium enrichment and, and doing things that Israel says it's concerned about. But if that's its concern, you know, its policy of using force, it it's not working. It's clear that the JCPOA will keep Iran's nuclear program in a box. And like I've said many times before, Iran has said repeatedly they don't want to make a bomb. They're signatories to the Non-Proliferation Treaty, which Israel is not a signatory to because they have a secret nuclear weapons program. So it's all just hypocritical stuff that comes out of Israel when it comes to this issue. But they're really going to step up their efforts. And this could be a major factor in influencing what happens here. Because uh, Benny Gantz, the Israeli defense minister, he's headed to Washington. He's going to be meeting with Jake Sullivan on Friday. So we'll see what this if this Israeli pressure um, does anything. All right, the next one, the largest ever weapons package for Ukraine was announced on Wednesday. I mentioned this yesterday, uh, but the Pentagon came out and they detailed this. It's $298 billion in weapons in one tranche of weapons. It's really an incredible amount of arms. And this new package, it includes six additional national advanced surface-to-air missile systems known as NASAMS, this uh, air defense system. And they actually is it's actually used in Washington, I believe, for the White House. This is like the missile defense system that is used for the White House. It also includes 240,000 rounds of 155 millimeter artillery ammunition, 65,000 rounds of mortar ammunition, 24 counter artillery radars, Puma unmanned aerial systems, which are surveillance drones, something called vampire counter unmanned aerial systems, so so a counter drone, anti-drone system, laser-guided rocket systems, and funding for training, maintenance, and sustainment. 
So this is being sent to Ukraine through the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which allows the U.S. government to buy weapons from arms makers for Ukraine. And the Pentagon said that this is about supporting Ukraine over the long term. And that's what this represents. They called it multi-year investments to build the enduring strength of the Ukrainian military. So this will take longer than the other aid that the U.S. sends, which is they pull directly from military stockpiles. Um, so it really represents the U.S. plans to support Ukraine in this war for years and years to come. Next one here, Boris Johnson, the British prime minister, he made a surprise visit to Ukraine on Wednesday where he warned against negotiations with Russia for one last time. He's due to step down as prime minister next month. He's been very hawkish about this war. And this is the third time that he's visited Kiev since Russia invaded on February 24th. He said at a joint press conference alongside Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky, quote, this is not the time to advance some flimsy plan for negotiation, end quote. So back in April, Johnson visited Kiev and he said after the fact that he urged the Ukrainians against negotiating with Russia. And according to a report from Ukrainian media, Johnson told Zelensky that even if Ukraine was not was ready to sign a deal with Russia. Because if you remember, in er end of March, early April, Ukraine and Russia were engaged in peace talks. And there were some uh, serious offers were made. The crux of it was, for Russia's side, was that Ukraine recognized Crimea as Russian territory, recognized the Eastern Donbass, the breakaway republics, as independent. And there was some vague stuff about demilitarization. But that was really the main demands. And... But the peace talks, they didn't, nothing came out of them. And I think a big part of that reason, reason why was because of what Johnson said to Zelensky. He said, even if Ukraine is ready to sign a deal with Russia, the West uh, was not. And that was the message that he was said to deliver to Zelensky. During his visit on Wednesday, Johnson pledged a new weapons package for Ukraine worth about $64 million. The details of the package aren't clear, but it includes 850 Black Hornet micro drones, which are like really small drones that they apparently the size of a human thumb that can be used for target spotting. That's really tiny. Um, and Britain has been one of NATO's biggest supporters of Ukraine, although it's total military aid. It's dwarfed by what the U.S. has pledged. I mean, they've come nowhere near what the U.S. has been sending. Uh, London has announced $2.7 billion in military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine since the Russia invaded. And the U.S. has pledged about $13.6 billion just in weapons alone. That doesn't include the budgetary aid, $8.5 billion in aid, direct aid to the Ukrainian government and other aid and other spending. I mean, it's just incredible how much money is being spent on this war. Uh, but Britain's support for Ukraine, it's not expected to wane as the two leading candidates to replace Johnson have pledged that they will continue backing Ukraine. They're kind of out hawking each other. It's it's between uh, the British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss and former finance, minister, former finance Minister Rishi Sunak. I don't know much about Sunak, but I know Truss. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the stuff she's been saying throughout this war. Incredibly hawkish. So just don't expect the UK to change its approach just because Johnson 
is leaving. All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone at the Libertarian Institute. It is titled, The CIA Begins Making Payments to Agents Who Suffer from an Illness That Likely Doesn't Exist. So according to this report, the CIA is starting to make compensation payments to agents who claim that they suffer from Havana syndrome. The alleged condition was first reported by government employees in Cuba who reported suffering various symptoms, including dizziness, headaches, and memory loss. The CIA has studied over 1,000 potential cases of the mysterious ailment and has been unable to prove that it exists. So Havana syndrome, there's been a few studies. There was one commissioned by the State Department um, because somebody took a recording of the, the allegation is that it's some sort of microwave weapon that, you know, the U.S.'s enemies are using against diplomats and CIA officers. There's been reported in other countries. They get dizzy and they get headaches. And one somebody recorded this sound once and it turned out it was it was crickets. And there's studies saying that these crickets in Cuba can cause these symptoms and some people that aren't used to the noise. Um, but, you know, now they're getting paid out of it. So we're probably going to see more claims of this Havana syndrome. Um, this story has really gone pretty wild. Okay, so the next one here, this is another one from Kyle. And this is interesting because I didn't realize what was going on here. This is from Kyle Anzalone and Will Porter at the Libertarian Institute. So there's hundreds of Afghans in the UAE. Uh, actually, I believe there's more than hundreds, I think thousands of them are in the UAE that were evacuated from Afghanistan by the U.S. one year ago you know, during the withdrawal and evacuation, and they've just been in limbo. They've been placed in these camps in the UAE as they await permission to enter the United States. And a few hundred of these Afghans uh, protested this week that what they called prison-like conditions um, so it's just not a good situation for these Afghans that were pulled out of the country. Um, a- apparently, 6,500 Afghans are at this these sites in the UAE, just living in these camps. Um, so that's it for the news for today. Um, hopefully, this situation in Syria calms down, but I'm sure there's going to be more updates on it tomorrow because, again, the latest is just from the U.S. military, and we got to find out really what's going on there. Um, but you can contact me, contact the show, news at antiwar.com. Support the show, antiwar.com slash donate. Follow me on Twitter. Subscribe on YouTube. Tell your friends about the show. Share it. And that's it for me for today. I'll be back tomorrow with some more news. Thank you for listening.